What's up, guys? Thanks so much for listening to this week's episode of The Corecast. We have a really special episode for you this week. We talked with Team Canada Beach Volleyball player and registered physiotherapist Sam Pedlow. We talked about his athletic roots and what drew him to beach volleyball, what it's been like competing on a global stage and how he's preparing for the Olympics, as well as his training philosophy. It's a really great episode, and we're really excited for you guys to listen. And with that, let's get started. This is the CoreCast by Anchor Health and Fitness. Welcome in everyone to another episode of the CoreCast. As usual, I'm your host, Mike Carlson. And today we have a really special guest, really excited to talk with him. He's a registered physiotherapist and a member of Team Canada's National Beach Volleyball Team, Sam Pedlow. Sam, great to have you on the podcast. Thank you very much for having me on. Well, we're, I'm excited to talk with you. And, and this is where I love to start with all of our athletes and trainers and, and just guests that we have on. I, I think it's a great place. I want to hear your, your comic book number one. What's your origin story? How did you get into sports, being an athlete, and, and, and just what were you like as a kid growing up? That's, I, I always feel like, a great place to start. Yeah, so as a, as a, a younger gentleman, I was dabbling in many different sports. I was definitely never uh, only a volleyball player. I actually didn't mm-hmm. commit only to playing volleyball uh, until I got to university. So I was 18 at the time. Um, as a kid, I was, you know, like every Canadian kid, I was playing hockey in the summer. I was playing soccer. That's kind of the cookie cutter model mm-hmm. in Canada, I think. Um, and as I started to get older, I started to migrate away from hockey and soccer. I started to play a lot more volleyball. I started to mountain bike. I was a skier for a while. Um, and then as I got older, I started to migrate towards what I was best at, which was volleyball. Um, but volleyball was always something that was part of my life. Um, I was introduced at a young age through my parents and their friends at the cottage um, and was just always around the game. I wasn't very good, but I really enjoyed playing. And, and that's what I did for a long time was just explore the sport um, in an unstructured way. And it wasn't until the end of grade school that things started to become more structured. I started to play club volleyball, but it wasn't as formal as, as what things are now. It was once a week in a gym with some friends. Um, and that evolved over time and into something more until I got to university where I started playing full time. You know, I was playing at the collegiate level every day and, and training to be the best I could at volleyball. And Following that, I, I took a, a small break away from the sport to finish my master's. And once that was done, I, I dove full in at the professional level because I knew there was something left for me to do in the sport. And I've been playing professionally since then and played over 100 international tournaments now for Canada. That's incredible. That, that's really cool. And I'm, I'm fascinated by kind of the, like you said, you, you played a lot of different sports growing up and then obviously kind of honed in on, on volleyball and then, you know, to be more specific, beach volleyball. Is there any one moment you can think of where you're like, okay, you're like, you know, this is it. Was it after you got your masters and you're like, okay, I have a little bit more left. I know I can do this. What was that moment where you're like, this is what I'm going to be, even though I've, I've kind of sampled all of these different sports. Well, I think there was kind of two defining moments when the decision that I was going to play volleyball was kind of made internally for myself. And the first one was um, I actually had to leave a volleyball tournament that was, I was 16. I had to leave a volleyball tournament to go to a hockey playoff game. Um, So I had to miss the finals of the tournament. Our team was doing quite well because I had to go and finish hockey playoffs. And I remember 
finishing the hockey game and crying in the car with my dad because I was so upset that I left the volleyball tournament. And that was the year I quit hockey because it was apparent that, you know, that sport meant way more to me than hockey did at the time. So I, I left hockey and I, I started to play volleyball full time in the winters. Um, and that was kind of the inkling that there was a real love for the sport because I'd played high level hockey for like 10 years before that. And, and to walk away wasn't something easy. And I think finishing my collegiate career and, and, and starting my master's and kind of taking a step away from the sport um, kind of showed me um, how much I really loved the sport because I was no longer competing at the level I was. I was just playing recreationally in the gym during my master's because there wasn't an option to compete at that level. I'd, I'd finished mm -hmm. my eligibility. NCAA, I think they get four years. We get five years up here in Canada. So I'd played gotcha. by five years. I was done. Mm -hmm. Finished my master's. And at the end of my master's, I had an opportunity to, to get back into the beach side of things with a guy who was looking for a partner. And I'd always been proficient, but I'd never been excellent. I'd never been the guy. And when I kind of got back onto the sand, I realized that there was that potential to be great at the sport if I was willing to commit. And you know, the day I made that decision to quit my job as a physio and, and dive full in, um, was a scary day, but it was a transitional day to get me to where I am today. That's so cool. And, and I think it's just, it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting story in general, because like you said, you had completed that eligibility, you know, you're, you're going to get your master's and, and get your master's in something that's, you know, just really cool and, and kind of ties into what you're doing. And then you say, you know what, I can go back and I can do this. What was that process to, to train to get back? Had you been staying in shape? you know, kind of throughout your master's program. And, and you said you'd played a lot recreationally, but you know, what was kind of that like to get back to, you know, playing beach at, at a, at a really high level? Um, yeah. Did you have to do a lot of training? What was that like? When I finished my master's, I was definitely a shape, uh, but that shape wasn't <laughs> um, the right shape. So to kind of backpedal a little bit, when I entered my first year of collegiate sports, I was, I was a really skinny kid. I was a beanpole, super tall, six, six, but you know, I was like 160 pounds. I didn't even know what the weight room was. Um, and I didn't have an interest in it at all. I just wanted to play. Um, by the time I reached my third and fourth year, I started to realize that, you know, sports IQ wasn't going to get me to where I wanted to be and that I needed mm -hmm. to develop physically. So I really took a liking to the weight room. Um, and I went hard and I put on a lot of weight and I put on a lot of muscle and I became a, a much better player. And when I took a step away after I was done my five years, the gym was, kind of replaced sport for me. I, I still was incredibly structured with it and, and worked incredibly hard and I got really, really strong. And mm -hmm. that was great. It was a lot of fun, but it wasn't going to make me volleyball proficient. So as soon as I finished my master's, I'd realized I'd gotten a lot stronger. I'm jumping a lot higher. I'm hitting the ball a lot harder, but if I want to have any longevity in the sport, I need to recomp what I've developed into a sports specific situation. So, you know, then we started working on a lot of things like speed and power. I had the strength. Strength has never been my issue, but I needed to develop capacity in those other areas in order to um, perform consistently at the level that I was looking to perform at. Because, you know, you can be strong and have a great tournament, but can you be strong, powerful, and quick and link together 10 or 12 tournaments in a year? That's the difference at my level. Totally. So, so, yeah, there was a, a you know, let's call it a grace period, a couple years where uh, it, it took me a little while to, 
to make the changes necessary to be able to be sustainable at the world tour level. But I think once I did make those changes, um, I put myself in a position where being a professional beach volleyball player was sustainable over time. And for a lot of people, that's not the case, especially as a Canadian in an environment where, you know, we get like three good months of summer a year. Yeah. And after that, it's basically snowing all the time. Mm -hmm. No, I, I, it's a hundred percent a great point. And I love that you kind of dove deep into it. One of the things that kind of in, in doing research on this and, and just kind of getting ready to talk to you that I thought was really fascinating. And, and I would love to just hear your thoughts on is, it's training specifically for beach volleyball because it's, it's inherently different from any other sport, you know, you know, soccer, you're on a, on a level grass field or a turf field, baseball, you're on a, a dirt diamond or you're in the grass, basketball, you're on hardwood. And it's all these very fixed flat surfaces, beach volleyball. I mean, it's anything but flat. It's anything but fixed. And it's incredibly tough to move around. And what does your training look like to prepare for that? And, and what kind of specific things did you have to do differently than, than any other athlete would have to do? Yeah, and I agree with you. The way we train at the highest level is, is different than any other sport. Um, just like the way at the highest level you're going to train for football is different. But I think one of the biggest misconceptions about volleyball is that you don't necessarily need to be strong. And that's something that I was always focused on, was first developing a base level of strength and then using that base level of strength in the unique ways for, for beach volleyball. So once I got strong, now it's like, well, how do we utilize that in the best possible way? Um, and I always make a joke that say beach volleyball players have like the best feet in the world. And yeah. <laughs> there's a reason, right? We're barefoot all the time. So, you know, you see a lot of people working on, on foot stability in, in the sports setting. Well, in beach volleyball, that's just going to happen because you are running around in the sand. Like if you don't have stiff feet, Mm -hmm. We're actually looking to develop some, you know, some suppleness in the foot. We're on the spectrum where our feet are often too stiff and we need yeah. to develop a little bit of that um, pronation versus everyone's always talking about supination. So when it comes to like, you know, training specifically for our sport, what we're looking at is a lot of single leg stability. It, it's very easy to stabilize yourself, uh, you know, bilaterally. But once we start to develop that single leg control, that's where you start to really see, you know, performance improvements. Because for us, even you think of something as simple as going in to set the ball. Well, that's a bilateral movement, but that doesn't mean both feet are at the same depth. They're at the same angle. You know, you, you could have totally. one foot that's in a hole. You could have one foot that's not in a hole, one that's pronating, one that's supinating. So you're, you're working unilaterally but bilaterally at the same time so mm -hmm. we're looking to create variability in our programs you know that way a lot of you know split squats a lot of single leg rdls but then you're going to do those when you're looking for not strength developments but for more proprioceptive control you're going to do those on unstable surfaces right so we're going gotcha. to use the, yeah. the foam, foam pads or balance boards you know you're going to use offset loading where you're loading one side of the barbell different than than the other and, and those are all going to help cross over to creating stability in an unstable environment on the sand. But it, it, we're also training in the traditional method. You know, if we're looking to develop power, we're going to develop power in, in the traditional way. We're going to be doing Olympic lifting and we're going to be mm -hmm. doing, you know, the primary lifts, squat and deadlift for speed. Um, I think those cross over to, to, to virtually all sports. But I think what's unique about volleyball as well is, is the fact that we're an overhead sport, you know, much like you think about, you know, tennis or baseball and and we need a level of, of shoulder stability that's in some sports not as required and yeah and that's the thing if you're going to hit a volleyball at over 100 kilometers an hour you know 100 times in a match you have to have 
a, a certain level of strength and stability in that shoulder to be able to maintain that not only in one game, but we're talking hundreds of games uh, a year. So, you know, that's where we're using things like, you know, deceleration exercises, eccentrics, and then, you know, high repetition movements to, to develop fatigue resistance um, in those joints. So it's, it's a full uh, spectrum of, uh, let's call it tools that you're going to use yeah. to try, try and be ready for the sport. But I think that's something that makes it super interesting for me as well, because training for volleyball, um, you know, gives me as much pleasure and joy as actually the physical manifestation of playing volleyball. Yeah, no, I think that's really interesting. And the, the there's a whole lot in there to, to unpack. So I just appreciate you walking through all that because I think it was just so cool. It's, it's the, the most interesting part I thought was it's, it's you guys do focus on a lot of single leg stuff, but it's, the you know where a lot of athletes focus on single leg stuff for different reasons you guys focus on it because you know like you said your your foot position may be different you may be on two feet but you know if you know one foot's one way and you're you're in a different way then that's why you need to have that stability you need to have a strong foundation because you know it's it's just it's the nature of the sport and it's it's the nature of the the surface you're playing on mm -hmm. I, I just, oh go ahead yeah and i mean like I said, we're a bilateral sport that's played unilaterally because if you think about football, for example, catching a ball, it doesn't, that the outcome is you just have to catch the ball, but mm -hmm. with volleyball and, you know, people are often more familiar with basketball. The outcome is like, you got to put it in a hoop, right? There's a, there's a very specific target. And for us, the quality of the contact on the ball is the most important thing. So it doesn't matter what one leg is doing, what the other leg is doing, you have to get yourself in a position of stability to present the ball in like a very, very specific manner. And if you don't, it's not going to work. So your legs, there's never a situation where you're like, I'm in the perfect situation. <laughs> you have to adapt. And that's why we're trying to create variability in training um, in the gym so that you feel comfortable in those positions because they're going to be awkward. They're not going to look great. But it doesn't matter if you don't look great and you're awkward, as long as you're able to present the ball with the, the highest quality that you can, then you'll be okay. I just, I think that's so cool. And it's, it's such a, I think a really great breakdown of, of what separates beach volleyball from, from a lot of different sports. So I appreciate you going into that. And I, I want to kind of shift gears. You're doing a little bit of my job here for me. So I appreciate that. You're kind of <laughs> teeing up this next question. Well, but, you know, in, in doing research, and, and we do have a very a, a crack research team here. It's a research team of one. Um, I, I did come across an article that mentioned that you were, you know, known as, as one of the hardest workers um, in the sport of, of beach volleyball. Uh, where does that come from? Where does that hard work and drive come from? You've kind of alluded to it earlier that you, you love the work as much as you love kind of the physical manifestation of playing. But where does that drive and, and that hard work ethic come from? I think I got it from my parents. Um, you know, I grew up, uh, my mom, my dad, my sister in, in Barrie, and my parents always worked as hard as they could to make sure that we had every opportunity we could to be successful. And I think that that really um, kind of created that mindset within myself. I'm, I'm always looking for ways to be better, ways to work smarter, um, ways that I can be the best person and athlete that I can be. And, you know, watching my parents um, as a, you know, young adult and, and the way that they conducted themselves, I think created that environment in order for me to adopt that mentality and then flourish with it. Um, I think for the longest time, I, 
I was proud of myself for how hard I worked, but didn't realize that some of that effort was uh, misapplied or misdirected. And I think, yes, for sure, I'm one of the hardest working beach volleyball players you'll ever find. But I'm starting to learn to work smarter as well, especially as I'm getting older. I'm 33 now. I'm not, you know, the the young spry chicken <laughs> I was in my 20s. Um, so I work extremely hard, but that no longer is only manifested as like burying yourself in the gym or, you know, mm-hmm. going the extra mile with conditioning. I work extremely hard in the ways that I can intelligently to be the best player I can. So, you know, that's, I'm using all kinds of tech now to be the best player I can. You know, we're not just using, for example, linking up with you guys, I'm not just using bands to, you know, mm-hmm. work on, on shoulder stability and, and, and uh, strength. I'm now using, you know, the, the best product I can that's able to provide me with the best stimulus I can to get the result that I want to. So I don't have to, you know, trench through the weeds to get to where I want to be. I know the, the direct path um, mm-hmm. and, and I'm going to follow that path more dedicatedly than, than anybody else. But like I said, I think all of that is, it's, a, it's an athletic expression of the mindset my parents always had. That's awesome. I, and I, I think that's really cool. And we, we appreciate the shout out, by the way. Thank you so much. Um, I'm interested because, you know, your background is very unique in that you, you have a background in, in physiotherapy, in, in the body. How much of that working smarter has stemmed from your knowledge in that and, and your, quite frankly, your high level knowledge? You know, it's, it's, you know a lot about, you know more about, I would say, the body than, than the average athlete out there. And, and how much has that influenced your decision, you know, to say, I'm going to work hard, but I know what I'm doing. So I'm going to work smart on top of that. Yeah, I think when I got into physiotherapy, that was my off ramp to being a, uh, an athlete. I thought that was the end. Um, so I thought it was a way for me to stay involved in sport um, by learning about it in a completely different way. And by you know, going through those two years and, and getting that, uh, that master's degree, it created, um, you know, a thirst for knowledge in, in the area of, you know, sport performance um, and rehabilitation. As I start to dove back into sport and started to shy away from physiotherapy, you know, that kind of hunger to learn as much as I could remained. So, you know, even now that I'm not practicing, I'm, I'm always out there looking for like, what are these other trainers? What are these other physiotherapists doing in this area? What is the most recent research, you know, that is applicable to what I'm doing so that I can kind of mold my training to make the most sense? You know, there's the classics, you know, the classic exercises or or classic training methods that we know we're going to get results. Um, and, you know, my philosophy on training has always been, it, it doesn't need to be glamorous and glitzy. The, the basics mm-hmm. do what they're going to do. You just have to do the sets. You got to do the reps and you got to have the intention. But there are those, those nuggets out there that if you find that the right exercise, the right rehab modality, um, and apply it in the right manner, that you're going to get results that you might previously have been, have been missing. And I think that's the exciting part of having that knowledge is I'm able to kind of sift through, you know, what's garbage and, and, and what's golden and kind of say, okay, well, does that make sense for me as an athlete in my position? Or is that just an Instagram popular exercise right now (laughs) that has no real value whatsoever? And 
we live in an age where people can spit out whatever they want on the internet. And if it gets a million views, people all of a sudden think it has value. And I think, again, that's where having that knowledge base where it says, okay, well, maybe it does, but maybe not for me. And as a volleyball player, I, I shouldn't be doing that. So I think as a physiotherapist and a professional athlete, I have an edge as to, you know, how to take care of myself, what, what makes sense and what doesn't make sense and, and how to best apply it so that I can be my best. Exactly. And I, I think you hit on the, the best point there. It's, it's being able to kind of sift through and check, you know, everything you come across. It's, it's no longer of, you know, if, if you don't have that background, like I see this and like, maybe it's good, maybe it's not, maybe you try it out, but being able to have that background, you're saying like, you know what, that might work. I can bring a little bit of that or, or that's just not going to work entirely. So I'm going to stay away from it. And, and that's where the value and that's where the edge is. As you mentioned, it's being able to now kind of check and, and kind of be your own knowledge base and and in a way, be your own client as a, as a physiotherapist. You're, you're your number one client as, a, as an athlete and then kind of on the physio side as well. We, we do always say that physiotherapists are the worst patients, though. So <laughs> I, I actually do work with a, a physio as well because I think it's easy to, um, you know, try and dissect what's going on in yourself and then get super biased. And then all of a sudden you're working on something that makes no sense and you go see someone else and they look at you and they're like what are you talking about? Like, just do this and you're, and, and you're going to be golden. So I think it's also important to have an outside perspective um, when you are involved in the profession, um, just to, you know, expand your horizons and, and open up your eyes to what, what else could be. Exactly. Exactly. No, I, I love that. And I want to kind of shift gears a little bit. Um, you know, it, it's kind of, it's the elephant in the room for, for every athlete, you know, that we talk to and it's, training amidst a, a pandemic and a lockdown. And, you know, I would just be more curious to know, you know, how has your training adapted? And, and really, is there anything that you've, you know, adapted or, or kind of seen like, okay, like this is something I'm doing, you know, right now that you're like, I actually, I might carry this forward, you know, post pandemic, you know, I, I, this thing that I've worked on, I'm just going to punt on what I was doing before. And this is what I'm going to do. How's that kind of been navigating that adaptation? And, and what are you going to bring through um, in a, in a post COVID world? Yeah. So, I mean, a little bit, if we go back to March, like that's when things really started in Canada here, I got home from Qatar, the first event of 2020. And, uh, you know, all of a sudden we're in lockdown, no gyms, no training, no nothing. And it kind of became a situation of, well, the Olympics are in four months. I'm supposed to be the best athlete I've ever been in my life at any particular time in four months. What am I going to do to make sure that can still happen? So I remember I was uh, at the airport uh, coming home and I had to go straight into like quarantine basically. And I sent my wife a message. I said, can you go to, can you go to treadmill factory and pick me up like 500 pounds worth of, or $500 worth of kettlebells so I can do mm -hmm. something. Yeah. So that kind of started what evolved over the next few months as to kind of creating this like super gym in my basement. So it's, it's been really interesting because at first my training had to be a little bit more adaptable before I could get any equipment. And that was a lot of kettlebell work. And what I realized was by doing that work, I developed a level of back strength that I, I'd never developed before in a regular gym. And I honestly think it's because when you purchase your own equipment, you're like super delicate with it. You're not chucking it around. You're not dropping mm -hmm. it. You're, you're very cautious with it. And as a result, you're getting so much eccentric loading by putting things down softly. And that kind of just, you know, you think about deadlifting or swinging and when you load that eccentric component and you start to develop more control through range, you, you get 
gains that you wouldn't have had if you skipped that. And I think in a commercial setting or in a private gym, like if you're at a training center, you, you often omit that side of things because it's the hardest part. Mm -hmm. And as I got a full gym in my basement and no longer had to just worry about kettlebells, the same thing happened was, uh, you know, a focus on body posture and control as a subset of not breaking the foundation of my house. And as I realized (laughs) that, like, as I realized that, wow, like all of a sudden you're rowing way more, you're deadlifting way more. I'm like, why is this happening? It kind of, this light bulb went off that said, okay, well, you've actually, because you haven't had as much weight as you would in a commercial setting and the equipment's your own, you're actually putting a way higher focus on, um, you know, posture, technique, and form. And as somebody who's been training for, you know, however many years, I think it's easy to forget about those things and think that you've already kind of mastered that area and you don't really have to worry about it. But a refocus on that and kind of a back to basics mentality is something that, I really feel like it's taken my strength game in quarantine to the next level. Like I'm, we're Mm -hmm. still in lockdown, but I feel like I'm, well, I know I'm stronger than I've ever been in my life and I'm training in my basement or driveway. Those those two shouldn't meet up to be, you know, the peak of athleticism, but in my case they have. So, you know, as whatever the situation starts to solve itself, I think it's a good reminder for me that, Sometimes it's not always about, you know, how strong you are, or how much weight you put on the bar. It's about the quality of movement that you're producing and what is the intention for each set and each rep that you're trying to produce. Um, and I think if I can, you know, keep that top of mind moving forward, it's, it's a really powerful tool. And I think it's a, a great reminder to anyone else out there who's been, you know, training for a long time or just starting training, because I think sometimes people believe that they need to put a lot of weight on everything or you're not being effective in the weight room. Yeah. But if, you know, if you can keep that top of mind that, you know, like precise movement with intention, uh, that's something that will serve me for the rest of my life. Well, I got to say, we, I think we've done like maybe 15 episodes of this and, and we've had like 15 people answer it a bunch of different ways. I got, I got to say, that's probably the coolest answer I've heard to this point as for how your training has adapted in quarantine, because it's, it's like you said, it's such a brilliant light bulb moment. It's so true. You're like, I don't want to destroy the foundation of my house. So I'm going to focus really, really hard on quality of my movements and, and really getting back to the fundamentals because I don't want to throw this weight around. And as a function of that, I'm going to become stronger. So I got, I got to say, like I said, kudos, man. I heard that and I'm like, this is this is probably the coolest thing anyone has said on the podcast at this point. So I appreciate you sharing. I set a PB in my basement deadlifting at 5 a.m. and my wife was sleeping upstairs and I didn't even wake her up. And I was like, this was a set of five. Uh, it's like if I yeah. was in a gym, I would be crashing this down to the ground. And all I'm focused on is like, okay, please don't wake up your pregnant wife. Yeah, you're like, we deadlift PB. cannot wake anyone up. Okay. I love that. I love, okay. So that's definitely um, I, we got to somehow get that on social media so everyone can hear that story. I, I love that. I love that. And I, you kind of are, are, again, kind of teasing this next question. You talk about the Olympics and how, you know, you're trying to qualify for the Olympics, obviously kind of thrown into chaos. And, and now they're expected to be here in a couple of months. How has that affected your training? Because I imagine there's a certain set of kind of planned, you know, out movements and regimen to be peaking right at the moment where you need to be peaking at the Olympics. And then now with it kind of being pushed out, you know, back in March, then a full other year, how did your training kind of be become modified? Did you have to reset and kind of go back to the beginning? Or was it a lot of 
you know, kind of getting, you know, kind of better just to kind of bridge to that? What was that like so that you can still time that peak moment for you at the Olympics, even though it was a year later? Yeah, I mean, that's probably the toughest physical thing about the pandemic. I think the pandemic has a lot of mental things associated with it. But, you know, essentially in July of last year, like I mentioned previously, I was supposed to be physically the best athlete I've ever been in my life. And that's years of work in the making to, you know, we operate on a four year cycle. So, you know, that's starting in 2016 to say, okay, by 2020 in July, this is what we want you to look like, feel like, play like. So, you know, February, 2020, I was like, we are, we are on the right track. You know, by March first tournament, physically, I was feeling like, okay, give me two or three more months. And all the work that I put in is going to manifest into something great. And then all of a sudden you're like, okay, the Olympics got canceled. What do you do? Exactly. For the first month or two months, I was like, whatever, I'm just going to train like I would for the Olympics in July. That got old pretty fast because you're training (laughs) super hard for nothing. Um, So it kind of became a situation where you had to, you know, take a look at the plan and say, okay, well now, you know, we're 14 months out from the Olympics. We can't just, you know, put the gas pedal down and keep going. We need to evaluate what the plan is so that in 14 months, you're going to be your best. And and the first thing we did was we we took a step back. We, Mm -hmm. you know, took the foot off the gas, reevaluated the plan. And it was, we almost went into like an extended deload. So, you know, how can we recoup? first of all, probably put on a little bit of weight because in beach volleyball, if you start the season too light, you're going to be in trouble by the end of the season because we're running around in a sandbox at 45 degrees Celsius. Like you're going to drop Mm -hmm. some weight. And so you need to start the season a little bit. um, Let's call it more solid than you would by the time July came around. So it, it was kind of back to a, you know, your basic plan. We're going to go through a general prep, we're going to go through a strength phase, we're going to go through a power phase, um, and then we're going to get to the Olympics. So, you know, we went through and also for the first time ever had months and months and months where we wouldn't be competing. Normally, I get like two or three months a year where I'm not competing, but this was the longest time I haven't played volleyball in like 10 years. So it was an opportunity to, like we talked about before, explore a little bit and try and find some of that untapped potential that maybe we weren't focusing on because we felt like there was um, higher priorities. So back to basics, look for untapped potential, and then basically start an off-season training program like full out in September. And the great thing is it means I get a longer off-season programming than I would have before because Mm -hmm. Leading into the Olympics, my last competition in 2019 ended in November. I take off four weeks, start training, first competition in March. So I get like wow. two, month, two months of off season. Well, you're not really yeah. going to like, you're not going to make huge progress in that. Well, now I have 14 months of off season. So I, I mean, I equate that to why I feel like I'm the strongest I've ever been is because I've had more time to commit to the gym than um ever before because I also can't go anywhere. So it's not like I need to fit my gym sessions in, in, in an hour or two hours. You know, if I want to explore movement patterns for three hours in my basement, well, it's not like I can, you know, (laughs) go play sports right now because we're not allowed to leave the house. So it's challenging. I think for every athlete, they probably went through a different situation over the course of trying to get themselves ready a year later. Um, And I think at times I really questioned whether, you know, the plan was going to work or was it, was it the right plan? But I think sitting here now that we're in January and I guess 
I think yesterday was 200 days out from the Olympics. I, yeah. I feel, I feel like it's, it's clicking again. Um, and it's almost like groundhog day from January, you know, 2020. So it mm-hmm. feels good. Um, and, and I, you know, I feel blessed to be able to have the situation I do in my house where I can train the way I can, because I know there's a lot of athletes, not only in Canada, but around the world who are not privileged to be able to do that. Gotcha. No, well, hey, we're going to be rooting for you. Being 200 days out, you got, you got no bigger fans than us. So we're, we're really excited to, to follow you and support you through that. And I got one more question and, and then I want to get to the rapid fire, which I'm excited to, to kind of go through with you. I wouldn't <laughs> be doing my job as, as someone who follows you on Instagram um, if I didn't ask about your coach, your cat, um, George, <laughs> what, where, I got to hear the backstory about George, where, you know, where did, did you adopt him? Where did he come from? How did he become your coach? Because I, I feel like we got to give the people a little bit of George talk. He's, he's so featured prominently. He is. So I actually have two cats. One is scared okay. of the gym. Her name's Penny. Uh, so George Harrison is my orange cat and Penny Lane is the calico cat. Love it. Um, yeah. So, George is an indoor cat. I moved my gym in from the garage or I don't have a garage from the driveway uh, sometime in the summer when I needed air conditioning. And George is like very much a routine based animal. And I wake up pretty early. I train early in the morning and he hears me rustle around in the basement and instantly will like go into the gym. Cause he's like, yeah, it's training time. And, um, it started out, I, I kind of built this storage unit and I put like towels in there and I joked that I had towel service in my gym and he just thought that was his cat bed. So he would sit in there the <laughs> whole time and work out. And then it just became, he would go in every morning and, and just sit with me and like watch me do reps and sets. And I was super worried cause I didn't want to like hurt him or drop a barbell or anything, but he just put a towel down in the corner and, and he just sits there. And yeah, he kind of became this, like you know, a little <laughs> social media star because I'd, I'd be doing, you know, whatever exercise and I'd sit down on the bench and then he would hop on my lap. And my rule with George is, you know, he, he decides when he wants to move. So I'll just pet him until, you know, it could be two minutes, it could be five minutes. And I would joke around that, you know, coach says I got to rest and, and he would just. Exactly. So yeah, he's, he's been a good training companion. We, we adopted him and uh, actually January 4th was his adoption anniversary. We adopted him seven oh, years wow. ago from the Humane Society here in Toronto. And then uh, we have a second cat, Penny, who we adopted a couple years ago from uh, the Humane Society as well. And uh, yeah, it's, I think it's funny. Everyone kind of looks at me. I'm this guy who, you know, plays a sport that you take a shirt off and I got this big beard, long hair, and they all mm-hmm. think a certain persona of me. And then it's like, I'm just the biggest sucker in the world for these two little cats. I, I love it. I'm glad we could get, to, I, it, I'm not going to lie. I took everything in, in my body to not lead off with George to start this. So I, I had to at least save that for the very end, but I love the backstory on that. And the fact that set a towel down and he just sits on the towel. And then whenever you got to rest in between sets, if it's two minutes, five minutes, you know, he, he determines that. And, and that's part of the workout plan. The number of people around the world who send me pictures of like their coach and it's just their cat sitting in their gym is that's, you know, that's my dream. My dream was always to have a home gym. <laughs> People always like show pictures of their dogs. Like they bring their dog to the gym. Well, no, nah, I just mm-hmm. like, as long as George can hang out in the gym, I'm good. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. Well, we would love a little bit of George talk. And, and now I'm excited for this next part. We're going to do the rapid fire. So you definitely don't have to answer these, you know, super fast. It's, it's just what we call this segment rapid fire. Got um, it. It's going to be five questions. We, we ask, you know, a couple of, you know, funny ones. And, and this is one we always lead off with. What is your favorite exercise or movement? Deadlifts. Easy. 
you haven't been surfing my social media very thoroughly. Come on. Oh, no. Hey, I, I just wanted to ask. I always say the three pillars of San Pedlo, beer, deadlifts, cats. Perfect. I, I love that. Okay, I think you're probably the second person to answer deadlifts, so I'm, I'm in on that. We're going to go two for deadlifts on here. The reason deadlifts was um, I'm a pretty tall guy, and squatting is, you know, that's a long movement for me. And when mm -hmm. I took my uh, time away from volleyball and went to uh, the University of Western Ontario to uh, do my master's, I actually kind of linked up with a group of guys who were the Western gym team, and they were all training powerlifting. And that's where I got like crazy strong was working with those guys because I wasn't playing volleyball. So, you know, to, to deadlift squat and bench every day, like I didn't have to worry about how sore I was. And um, it took a long time, but I developed uh, a pretty high proficiency for deadlifts um, at that time and, and started to get pretty strong. Like I was consistently pulling over 500, you know, wow. just for fun. And yeah. um, then it became, you know, what was crazy was my neurological system adapted so thoroughly that like to this day without really training exceptionally heavy deadlifts, I can still go in and pull 500 like it's nobody's business. And that's why it's become my favorite exercise because I'm just, <laughs> I'm so proficient at it. And, you know, um, I've, I've switched stances and I've switched, I've switched all kinds of variables to, to, to keep mixing it up because volleyball isn't a sport that you need to be pulling 500 pounds consistently for. Um, mm -hmm. So if I can make it harder on myself by either, like we talked about before, unilateral, um, I was sumoing for a long time and now I conventionally deadlift. But if I can switch up those variables in order to develop some of that untapped potential in the posterior chain, I, I'm going to search for those. But, you know, if you were to give me a barbell and a, a bunch of weights and you say, you only get to do one exercise today, what would you do? I would just deadlift until I can't walk. Hey, I love that. You're one for one. This next one, I, I, I'm interested to hear. So you've just gotten done, you know, with a match. What's your go-to post-game meal? What, what are you doing? Are you doing something healthy? Are you opting for maybe a cheeseburger? What's, where are you going right after you're done playing? So this is a challenging question. We'll go in, in, in two parts because okay. our environment is very uncontrolled. So I'm playing in a different country every week. So what is available to me after the match can be wildly different depending mm -hmm. on what country we're in. So in China, I'm going to get something after the game served to me or at the buffet way different than if I'm in Europe, for example. But yeah. if I'm, if I'm at home, say we've, you know, we just finished training and, and I got to eat. Um, I really try and, and get something. I'm so boring in this sense when it comes to food. I'm going to eat white. I'm going to eat white rice and ground beef. Like I'm going to eat carbs and protein Perfect. and I'm going to get it down. It's going to taste good, but it's nothing fancy. If you ask my partner, like he wants to shoot me because I could eat ground beef and <laughs> rice all day, every day. And he just thinks it's ridiculous. Um, when we're at a tournament, it's whatever I can get in me at the time. I think something that people don't understand about beach volleyball is you know, you, you've just been running around in the sun for an hour at 40 degrees. Whatever you can get in is probably worthwhile. It's not always mm -hmm. ideal, but you're going to play again in a few hours. And if you can't get enough calories in you to, to play that next match, like you're already at a disadvantage. So, you know, I'm going to search for some type of, uh, you know, simple carb and protein. But if I can't get that or, you know, if I got heat exhaustion, I'm just going to eat dessert until I get mm -hmm. enough calories that I can play again. <laughs> so it's, uh, you know, it's a unique answer, but I think we play unique sport where sometimes it's, uh, I always say like, you know, look good, feel good, play good. So if you're going to eat something that's going to make you feel good and it's going to get you enough calories in, 
go for it because the worst thing you can do in our sport is, is bonk. Right. And, and mm -hmm. we say bonk, you're just going to run out of energy. They're going to serve you short in the heat until you can't run anymore. And then you lose the game right away. Yeah. Okay. So I, I love that. It's a great two-parter. We're going to go ahead and say you're two for two. So that's perfect. <laughs> this next one, you talk about having a partner. I'm going to, this might be a little bit of a difficult one. So it's you and you could pick anyone who's a non beach volleyball player to be your partner. Got it. it can be celebrity, athlete, friend, family member. Who are you picking as your partner for, for that? So this is to play volleyball with, right? Yes. Yeah. To play beach volleyball with. Yes. So like a, a, an argument that happens every year with volleyball is like, what would be your basketball players as volleyball player, like starting lineup for volleyball? Okay. So yeah. I'd, I would pick uh, Giannis uh, from Milwaukee, from the Bucks. Like if you, if I that guy that. was on a volleyball court, like he would be indestructible. So many people say like you pick LeBron James or, or whatever it is, but I'd feel self-conscious playing with LeBron James and like trying to tell him what to do. Right. Yeah, um, <laughs> exactly. You know, he, he would just do whatever he wanted to, but you know, if you pick Giannis and, and go out there, I think he's uh He's lean enough to survive in the heat, mm -hmm. um, and he's, uh, he's a young guy, so he might listen to you a little bit better, um, yep. but I also think he would cross over uh, particularly well uh, to the sport of beach volleyball. Wow. I, I think that's an excellent answer, and let me just be the first one to say I would be terrified if I'm walking up to play some beach volleyball and I see you and Giannis going up. I would just, I'd probably just roll the ball over and, and ex just try not to, try not to compete. I, I would be done at that point. I think that's a, a dynamic duo, so I would be all about that. And with the NBA bubble that was down in Orlando, you were actually seeing like a lot of social media of guys like playing beach volleyball. And yeah. um, <laughs> there's some videos of Taco from Boston, like on a, like a saggy volleyball net playing. And it's yeah. just like, <laughs> <laughs> these guys are giants. Like we have a few monsters mm -hmm. in our sports, but you know, the average person is around like six, six. We've got a couple guys at seven foot, but you know, when, the seven footers in beach volleyball do not move like the seven footers in basketball. So, yeah. you know, if those guys ever decided that the NBA was, you know, paying them too much and they wanted to pay yeah. that, they could come <laughs> play beach volleyball. I, I love that. So you're three for three. This next one, I'm itch, I'm really interested to hear your take on this. You've played on a lot of beaches. You've played in a lot of different countries. What is the favorite beach you've ever played beach volleyball on? Yeah, so I think um, the favorite place I've probably ever got to play was uh, down in Brazil, Copacabana Beach. Uh, it's really nice. the mecca of beach volleyball. So, you know, I think Brazil has always, I know Brazil has always dominated um, beach volleyball over the course of its, its, its history. And, you know, growing up watching beach volleyball and then starting to play more and more and more, um, to be able to get down there and train and compete on that beach where, you know, it's almost like a rite of passage. So many guys before you have gone down there to train and compete. And then when you finally get that opportunity, um, you know, it, it, you have a special feeling when you get down there and you say, you know, like I get to go to work, I get to walk down this, you know, mosaic boardwalk to practice every day. Um, and this is my life. So I think it's uh, it's an inspiring place. Um, and I mean, you can't beat the competition down there either. So totally. I, okay. I love that. You're four for four. This last one to go a perfect five for five in the rapid fire. Uh, we ask everyone this, you know, at anchor, we're all about building strength and, and being strong. And the one thing we love to ask everyone to, to wrap up is what gives you strength. It, it can be anything from family members to, um, you know, something a little bit more abstract, but what's the one thing that gets you out of bed every morning, just excited uh, to get to work. 
Yeah, so I think there's two things. I think there's an internal factor um, and an external factor. And I think the internal factor for me is I've always been interested in like pushing the limits of my own potential, my own performance. How, how strong, how fast, how good can I get at this sport? And it, I, I haven't hit that point yet where I see, you know, uh, my efforts are no longer producing results. And that's exciting because, you know, my goal is to be superhuman and I haven't got any indication yet that I can't reach that. So that's something that allows me to explore and push as hard as I can to be the best I can at the sport. But I think there's also an external influence as well. And you hit the nail on your head that comes from, you know, my family and, and my wife, because I think what people don't realize is, is how much time we spend away. Um, you know, I'm on the road sometimes for 30 some odd weeks a year training and competing. And that's difficult. I've been with my wife for 14 years and, and I've been away probably more than I've been home. So there's that extra motivation to, to utilize the opportunity you've been presented with to be your best because you know, there's other people in your, in your team, your, you know, your family that are rooting for you that you don't get to spend as much time as you hope you could spend with them. Right. So it's, um, you know, thankfully we live in a digital age where you can communicate and, and connect with them, but it gives you that drive to make the most of the opportunity you're presented with, because, you know, there's people at home waiting for you to come back and, and mm -hmm. be a regular person. Right. You know, yeah. just, just, cook dinner and, and, and hang out and, and do regular people things. And um, it's always important to take the opportunity to take advantage of that when you can, but on the road, I, I use it as motivation because if I can't be doing those things, I need to be doing everything I can to be the, the best athlete I can be. Wow. I love that. Five for five, crush yes. the rapid fire. I thought it was great. You, you crushed it. Um, we can't say thank you enough for, for coming on the show. And, and one thing we want to do is want to make sure that, you know, we, you know, give our whole anchor community, um, a place to, to follow you and to, and to show you some love. So where can we find you on the internet? Um, we, we want to make sure that, like I said, we're able to, to give you a follow, show you some love and, and really cheer you on. Yeah. So all social media channels for me, you know, Instagram, Twitter, I even have TikTok um, at nice. Pedlo Samuel, just my name. And then I have a website, www.sampedlo.com. Um, yeah. So I appreciate anyone and everyone who, uh, you know, checks out anything I'm doing on there. And I always tell everyone that I always feel super privileged to be in the position I'm in. I never thought that I would be like a professional athlete. So it, it gives me a lot of pride and a lot of joy when people reach out to me and they, and they have questions about, you know, their own training, my training, um, or just life itself. And, one of the things I've always tried to be is, is super accessible. So if there's anyone out there who's listening and they think that I can be a resource to them um, or they just want to reach out and say, hi, send me a message. I respond to all my messages. And um, yeah, if, if I can help you out, I'll, I'll do my best to do that. And um, yeah, I appreciate you guys having me on. I think I probably won the award for longest answers to rapid fire questions, but that's because I talk a lot. So no, it's good. It's, it's, we, we haven't come up with a better name for rapid fire. So we just call it the rapid fire, but it's, it's really go as slow or as fast as you want. So I, I thought you crushed it. It was awesome. This was just an absolute treat to have you on. Um, we can't say thank you enough. And, and we definitely got to have you on again. I, I feel like we've only scratched this. We just talked training. We have to talk you know, a whole lot more about beach volleyball and, and sports in general. So um, we can't say thank you enough. And, and like I said, we're excited to have you on again. Sounds great. I look forward to doing it again.